have a little fireplace. It's not a, a real fireplace. It's a, a plug-in fireplace. And it, uh, I think the display is LED, but you can, um, you can turn it on and you can change the color of the flames and the color, color of the rocks below. And you, it has a heater on it. And oftentimes when I'm here, and I don't want to turn the, the whole heater on back there. I'll just turn that little heater on in my office. And, and I've got a remote control that, go, that came with that fireplace. And so I can hit the power button, and it'll come to life. And I can hit a different button. It'll change the colors. And I can hit this other button, and it will turn the heater on. But the thing about this remote control that I'm sure most all of you understand about, and this is not a, a big re remote. It's kind of a, actually a small kind of a, I don't know, it's not real fancy, but this remote control, um, if in order for it to work, I have to point it right at the fireplace if I want it to come on. If, if I'm pointing the opposite direction, this is not that kind of remote, I, I have to point it right at it to get it to come on. And, and also, if I want that fireplace to come on, I, I can't let anything get in front of it. it has, there can't be any obstacles in front of it, it has to... You know, if there's a book in the way or there's a wall or a door, you got to move the book, you got to move the wall, you got to get all of the obstacles out of the way as you point it at it, make it come on. And then, and then I've also noticed that this thing only has a limited range. I can't be over in kids club playing with the basketball and turn my heater on and make it come on. I have to be in close proximity for it to come on. But I would just tell you today that if you want to connect with the Lord, you've got to point the right direction. You've got to get rid of the obstacles. And you have to draw near to God. You've got to get in close proximity. If you want to hear from the Lord, this, and I'm assuming every one of you do that. I'm assuming every one of you want to hear from God or you want something from the Lord or you need something from the Lord. So I'm just encouraging you today, if you're going the wrong direction... This would be the best opportunity to just change directions and point toward the Lord. That's what repentance is all about. Repentance is a, it's a change of direction. It's for when, when people are going their own direction or they're going the wrong direction, but they feel the tug of God and they feel the call of God that we preached about last week. And they turn and they change directions and they start going toward the Lord. But sometimes obstacles get in the way. Sometimes things in life tend to crop up and, and interfere and, and try to hold us back. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's, it's uh, commitments that we've made. And, and there comes a time in our life we have to lay relationships aside if we're going to pursue God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll love me more than you love everybody else. If you're going to follow me, you have to love me more than anything else. And you have to lay aside weight. You have to lay aside up, uh, obstacles if you're going to follow the Lord and draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you so I'm preaching this morning about pursuing God amen there's a hunger in our hearts I think God puts it in everybody to seek things out to learn to draw close some people don't know what they're looking for yet and so sometimes people spend their life on a lot of things out in the world and in and they really never find the thing that satisfies them. They never really find the thing that fills the emptiness in their life or the, 
it, it, it fills up that void in their life until they find the Lord and the power of the Holy Ghost. And when a person finds the Lord and the power of the Holy Ghost, that, that search that I mentioned, that search is over. It's, it's fulfilling to, to find God on that level. Amen. And I believe the Lord has the gift of the Holy Ghost for every single one of us. In fact, I know He does. David said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. That's what I'm going after. That's what I seek after, David said. I, I love the way the, the New Living Translation says it. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most. The thing that I seek most most so i would ask you today what is that thing what what are you seeking more than anything else be honest with yourself for a minute what is the thing that you're seeking more than anything else because i've watched people and you have too there are some people they're seeking after they're seeking after some level of a popularity or acceptance but if you turn that and you seek the lord and you make the Lord your priority, and you make God number one, I'm just going to tell you, you put God first in your life. Things fall into place. The reason some people are not content right now is because they're out of order. They've got, they've got career ahead of God, or they've got family ahead of God, and, and family and career are both, both very important. But when you get things out of alignment... You have to flip the tables and you have to get to the place in your life where you, 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 you come to that realization, I need God in my life more than I need anything else. And when you put God first in your life, your family comes in order. Brother Good was teaching in our adult class here in the life class about, about obedience follows obedience. When I start following the Lord, other things fall into place. Victory unto victory. The Bible describes it this way, faith unto faith. Victory to victory. Amen. And so it's getting our, li our lives in alignment. And David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. I'm going to be intentional about it. That statement from David expresses desire. I've got a desire today, don't you? I've got a desire today. It's to know the Lord. That statement that David makes, it reveals priority. It shows hunger. David's greatest desires were connected to the Lord. And the things we desire most, they reveal our priorities. The things that we desire the most, it reveals what's important to us. It shows what we're truly, what we're truly hungering after. We can hunger and thirst for the good and the right things, or we can hunger and thirst for the wrong things in life. Just like in the natural, what I, what I feed myself, what people feed themselves, we cultivate an appetite for. What we enjoy eating, we, we condition ourselves to want that. If you're a meat and potatoes kind of guy. <laughs> Got a witness. If you're a meat and potatoes guy, that's what you want to eat. And so you cultivate an appetite. What do you want? Maybe somebody asks you, where do you want to eat? Well, I want, I want a nice piece of steak or I want a baked potato. 
Um, you, you desire that, and, and somebody says, Brother Good, somebody says, sushi. They say, sushi? No, give me meat and potatoes, because you got an appetite for it. But I'll tell you, if you try sushi rolls, they're all right. Amen. <laughs> so, but you, what you condition yourself, and the same is true in the spiritual. If we condition ourselves to to go after the things of God, to pursue the things of God. We create that appetite. We cultivate that desire within us. When we get into the word of the Lord or we begin to develop a prayer life, what that is doing is that is feeding that hunger for the things of God. Amen. It's, it's feeding that desire. And the more we get into God's word and the more we develop that relationship, the more we begin to understand or we sense in the wee hours of the morning, or maybe in the middle of the afternoon, we feel that prompting. That's the hunger of God. You know what, does it, you know what I'm talking about? See, whenever, whenever our life is characterized and we, we, we spend all of our time on frivolous things and, and entertaining ourselves, that's what we tend to gravitate toward. But what I'm talking and what I'm trying to preach about this morning is turning those desires to the things of God and, and listening to the voice of the Lord in our lives and, and understanding that, that there is more that God has for each and every one of us. That, that the Lord has more than just a nibble for us in our life. And, and you know what? Sometimes people, I, I'm a dessert, most of you know that I'm a dessert kind of guy and, and I could eat dessert before my regular meal anytime. I, I like that. But... There are other people that, that I know very closely. They, could, they don't care a whole lot about dessert. And they would rather have their stew or their, um, their whatever, their regular meal, their, I don't know, somebody, somebody tell me something to eat. Lasagna? What are you all having for lunch? Chicken? Enchiladas? <laughs> but you can, you, but... As I was saying, Vanessa, she's, she's okay without dessert. I'm like, after a lot of our meals at home, what do we have? I used to, and I'm having to like slow that down, but I'd love to have ice cream every meal, but I can't, you know. But develop that hunger, right? We de develop that, that cultivate that desire. And, and what I'm trying to say here today is that we can cultivate a hunger for God we can cultivate a stronger desire for God if we if we'll point ourselves that direction as James said if you will draw nigh to God he will draw nigh to you because you develop that hunger Paul said it this way I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus you know what Paul was saying he was saying my life is about the Lord and if you go back and you read that passage in Philippians chapter 3 he said all this stuff I have in life I've counted as loss all this all of my pedigree and my background he said all those things they really don't mean anything in comparison to my quests to know the Lord. I want to know the Lord and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. And so David said one thing, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after. 
Amen. How many seeking the Lord this morning? How many hungry for God? How many want more of the Lord this morning? I'm hungry for the Lord. I'm going to tell you something this morning, and you know this, but hunger is a strong motivator. When you get hungry for something, and I sense hunger here this morning. I sense hunger for God, not, not your natural hunger, though you might have that. But I sense a hunger for God here this morning. And, and hunger will, will drive people to do things they don't normally do. Hunger will, will direct people to, to go after things that, and to a level that they're not accustomed to. You know, we were talking Wednesday night before church, several of us, and, and there's some people in our church that they don't like green peas. But if you're hungry, you might have to be really hungry. What? Wasabi peas. If you're hungry, it doesn't matter. If, it, if, you're, if you're thirsty, you'll put your face down in a creek and drink out of a creek. Because to satisfy, you, 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 you do things and you go after things that you don't normally go after. It's, it's a motivator. It's a, it's a catalyst. And if somehow this morning... In this very simple message, if somehow this morning the Lord could create in us a desire for Him. If somehow the Lord could redirect our desires, help us redirect our desires and turn them toward Him. There, there's a woman in the Old Testament, her name was Hannah, and she wanted a, a child. She wanted that child so bad, she went to the temple and she began to pray. And she prayed with such earnest and desire that when the priest Eli looked at her, he thought she must have been drinking. There must be something wrong with, with Hannah. Look at the way she's praying. But when Eli approached Hannah, Hannah said, I have not drunk wine or strong drink, but she said this. She said, I have poured my soul out before the Lord. I have poured my soul out before the Lord. And, and ladies and gentlemen, my friend, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching here this morning that sometimes you need to get to the place in your life where, where you get past just having religion in your life. You, get, you need to get past the point in your life to where you just have a, a ritual of, of church and you, you cultivate and you, you develop this hunger for God to the point to where you are willing to pour your soul out before God. I just kind of have the feeling there's, there's, there's people probably in this room that at some point in your life at home or in your car you poured your soul out before God maybe you were at home alone and no one else was around and you begin to cry out to God and maybe you said a prayer like God I need help right now 
you poured your soul out. You might have said, God, I have this need. You're driving down the road and tears are coming down your eyes. And you're saying, God, I need you right now in my life. You're like Job, you look to the right and he's not there and you look to the left and you don't see him working and you look behind you and he's not there and you look in front of you but you say, where is God in my life? But my friend, we ought to get to the place to like Hannah and just pour our soul out to God. I'm just preaching this this morning because there's no shame in pouring your heart out to God. There's nothing wrong with being expressive and and even demonstrative in your praying and in your worship. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about pursuing God. I'm talking about going after God. I'm talking about getting to the place to where you stop worrying about what people might think about you. I'm talking about getting to the place in your life where you're not really concerned about your neighbor. And you, you go ahead and and you express your worship, maybe you dance before the Lord. And you might not know that that's in the Bible, but David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And there's nothing wrong with dancing for the Lord. Amen. There is nothing wrong with shouting. Brother Brother Good talked in our life class about the walls of Jericho. And when they marched around on the seventh day, seven times, they shouted, And when you do what God tells you to do, victory. Well, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't have to make sense. Well, I don't remember, I don't remember that statement you said, Brother Good, how you said it. It was in your lesson. That, that obedience doesn't always make sense. And people like me, if you know the colors personality, I'm a green. I'm kind of, I'm kind of a skeptical guy. I'm kind of an analyzer. I'm a literal thinker at times. I'm thinking, that's not what, that, what you just, that's not accurate. And I'm analyzing things and I'm, and I'm questioning things. And that doesn't make sense. Those pieces don't go together. You know, if you want victory, and we've been preaching about it on Wednesday nights, but you know, if you want victory in this world, you've got to fight against this world. But our, our battle is not with this world, is it? We walk in the flesh, but we don't war after the flesh. Praise the Lord. I want more of God. I want more of God. Amen. And desperate people do desperate things. Hungry people do things that they don't normally do. Hungry people for God, they pray and they fast and they're motivated. Amen. You know, oftentimes you can tell people who are hungry. You can tell people who are hungry for God. This is not a judgmental statement. It's not a criticism. But you can tell people who are hungry for God. You can tell people who are motivated. But you can also tell people who are not hungry for God. You know, it's just like at the dinner table. When you're hungry, they don't have to say twice, it's time to eat. Because if you're hungry, and there's probably one in every household. But if you're hungry, they're the first one at the table. Let's eat. Let's Let's get it on the table. When you're hungry, you're the first one there. You want that desire. And when you're hungry for God, they don't have to pull and beg and plead and, and try to talk you and persuade you into going after God. They don't have to, if somebody's encouraging you to pray or to worship the Lord, if, if the song leader, if the worship leader's up here, they're not sitting there trying to pull you and persuade you to, to, to raise your hands and join in and sing and worship the Lord. That, that hunger is natural. 
And it just, it's an outflow because you want to pray, you want to worship, you want to be in the house of the Lord because there's hunger, there's motivation. I, over the last two or three years, we, we saw a lot of people lose their hunger for God. We saw a lot of people lose their hunger for the things of God. We saw a lot of people, their taste and their appetites for the things of God change. And, and when COVID hit, was it March of 2020, almost three years ago now? And, and, you know, the recommendation was they said, don't go to church. You know, don't be more than, what was it, six or 12 people or whatever the number was. Don't be in groups of more than six or 12 people. And so, so churches, many of the churches were trying to be cooperative and we decided not to have services. But at that first two or three weeks, there was this tribe, there was this hunger in people's lives, not just, I'm just speaking in general terms here now, but all across America, people were like, we, we can't go to the house of the Lord. We can't join with the people of God. And there was a, there was a hunger to get with God's people when COVID all hit, right? Right. Whenever it was like, I can't go to church. I can't be with God. I can't, I can't sing and worship. I can't be. And so we said, we had, everybody said, you have to stay home, but we watched it. We watched the attitude we, we all saw it, if we, if we were in tune with it, we watched the tone of so many people in the American churches begin to change as, as COVID kind of lingered on. You know what happened? Appetites begin to change, desires as people got used to just watching things and people got used to just, you know, paying once in a while, halfway paying attention to church on some, some live stream. And I thank God for live stream. It has its purpose. But you know, we kind of got out of that mode of coming together and a lot of people, their desires and their appetites begin to wane. It just kind of got less and less. And, and over the last year or so now, a lot of churches have been trying to, trying to bring that back. But see, when, whenever, whenever something is taken away or things change and our appetites change, I hope I'm making sense here right now, but when our appetites change, our desires, our direction begins to turn. And, and we watched that during that period of time, during that season, how, how people began to change and they got so used to not going to church. There are churches all over America right now that have closed and are still closing because hungers and desires changed. We got comfortable doing something else because sometimes we desire the wrong things. I'm preaching this morning about pursuing God. And some people go after the wrong things. Some people are pursuing. Some people have their heart. Some people have their life pointed at the wrong things. Brother Gurley, Ken Gurley, he said, he said, why is it that we can weep at a fictional character, but not at the cross? Because that's where our appetites are. Why can we read a book and cry over a book or watch some silly made-up movie and weep and cry, but when we preach about the cross and we preach about the things of God, we're not moved at all. Francis Chan, who, who has written a couple of great books, one book he wrote he, is called Forgotten God. And Francis Chan made this statement in that book. He said, the light of the American church is flickering and nearly extinguished, having largely sold out to the kingdoms and the values of this world. It can happen to anybody. It happened to Eve. Eve's desires turned to what God had forbidden her. Samson craved a relationship outside of the will of God. Judas Iscariot loved money more than he loved being a disciple of the Lord. 
And so what I'm saying is that when the Lord begins to call, we have to lay aside every weight. We have to, in fact, Mark chapter 8 says, whosoever will come after me, Jesus said this, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And listen to this, whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and he lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, salvation's free, but if you're going to follow Jesus, it will cost you everything. You have to lay everything aside. There's, there's a lot of people, they've, they've kind of got a wandering spirit when it comes to God. I'm, I'm preaching about pursuing God right now. But there are a lot of people, they have a wandering spirit right now. And if you were to characterize their walk with the Lord, they're wandering. They're like the children of Israel who spent 40 years in the wilderness. They knew where they were supposed to be. They knew where God had promises, but they were, they were spending 40 years wandering in the wilderness. They, they, were, like, they were like Christopher Columbus. You know, you know about Christopher Columbus? When he left, he didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was. And when he got back home, he didn't know where he had been. That's, that, that's the characteristic of a lot of people's lives. They're just in a wandering spirit. Here's what, what I'm telling us today is we need to turn to the Lord. And we need to point our hearts and our minds toward the Lord. God's presence is here this morning. We ought to pursue God's presence. We ought to pursue God's presence. As the psalmist said, Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Lord, give us a desire for your word. Amen. God, give us a desire for your word. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. David said in the 119th Psalm, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Give me a desire, Lord, for your house. Give me a desire for your people, Lord. Lord, give me a desire for holiness and righteousness. God, help me to be. We used to sing a song years ago, To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus on earth. I long to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, I long to be like the Lord. And my friend, I, I, I may date myself, I don't know, but that's all right, I'm 52. How many of you remember doing this at home? Probably more in the days of shag carpet. Anybody remember that? If you're, if you're under 18 years old, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Allie, have you ever done that? Have you ever like rubbed your feet on the carpet? Or not your feet, but like your shoes and walked up and touched your mom and shocked her? You're missing out. <laughs> but there were some, I, and, and like I said, it may have been more of a shag carpet type thing. I don't know. But there were, when there was static in the carpet, we used, we used to do it. I think my dad would was probably good at it. I mean, he was good at sneaking up behind you and just, and you're like, and he hits that skin. Man, this light just stick a little spark. Just a little spark. You know, to start a fire, all it takes is a little spark. Just a, a little spark. 
There's been a lot of fires that have been started by just a little, little spark. I'm telling you, there's revival. Just a little spark. There's a hunger. There's a hunger in a lot of your hearts. Just a little spark. Stand with me, please. I'm going to finish here. But I'm going to share something with you here. So if you'll just pay real close attention for just the next minute or two. In 1898, a man by the name of Charles Parham, Brother Good, if you'll help me put his picture up there, a man by the name of Charles Parham and his wife established the Bethel Divine Healing Home in Topeka, Kansas. The original purpose of the home that he and his wife established was to provide comfort for those seeking healing as well as a place for orphans and the unemployed. In that, in that home, they also provided special studies to ministers and evangelists in, quote, Bible truths and trained for the gospel work. Parham, Charles Parham, he edited a paper called The Apostolic Faith that was distributed twice a month, and he shared, in that paper, he shared testimonies of healings and also shared sermons in that. This man, Fred Foster, wrote this book, it's called their story, the 20th century Pentecostals. And Fred Foster in this book, he said, during this period of, of Charles Parham, there was great unrest. The larger denominations had lost much of their spiritual steam, creating a tremendous hunger in the hearts of any desiring spiritual strength that could not be obtained in the more formal worship services. New groups sprang up with various names and doctrines, but most of their founding was predicated on the hunger in their hearts for reality and religious experience. Parham was one of these, he wrote. And growing more intent, he made a momentous decision. Our hearts were stirred to deepen our consecration and to search the Word. And Parham, he's quoted in this book, Parham said, I went to my room to fast and pray to be alone with God that I might know His will for my future work. Many of my friends desired me to open a Bible school. By a series of wonderful miracles, we were enabled to secure what was then known as Stone's Folly, a great mansion patterned after an English castle in Topeka, Kansas. And so Parham and his wife, they established this Bible college in Topeka with about 40 students. As they begin to study in the Bible college, the students came to a place, they hit a snag and had a question, and someone asked the question, what about Acts chapter 2? Parham himself had wrestled with this question for some time, and so he turned it back and he challenged his students to answer the question about Acts chapter 2. Parham later wrote in his uh, journals, I believed our experience should tally exactly with the Bible. Having heard so many different religious bodies claim different proofs as evidence of their having the Pentecostal baptism, I set the students at work studying out diligently what was the Bible evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost that we might go before the world with something that was indisputable because it tallied absolutely with the Word. Parham had to go away for about three days, and when he returned from this visit, or this, this time away, he was very anxious to find out from his students what they had learned. And so at 10 o'clock the morning of the day that he came back to Topeka, 
he rang the bell at the school and had all of the students come to a chapel service. And there in their chapel service, Parham began to talk to each of the students one by one about what they had learned. And all of these students, as they talked to Parham, they all had the same story. That the whole, there were different things that occurred when the Pentecostal blessing fell, when the Holy Ghost fell. But the indisputable proof on each occasion was that they spoke with other tongues. A lady named Lillian Thistlewaite told in her account of the events of being in that school, she said services were held daily and each night all the influence of a all felt the influence of a mighty presence in our midst the service on new year's night was especially spiritual and each heart was filled with hunger for the will of god to be done in them one of the students agnes in osman asked mr parham to lay hands upon her that she might receive the holy spirit and as he prayed her face lighted up with the glory of god she began to speak with other tongues that happened on New Year's Day, 1901. Shortly after that, Parham and some of the workers there at the school, they began to hold revivals in nearby cities. The fire began to spread. News of the phenomenon began to filter out far and wide. Frank Ewart, another Pentecostal pioneer, he wrote a book called The Phenomenon of Pentecost. And Frank Ewart wrote, the fire quickly spread to Kansas City, Lawrence, Galena, Melrose, Hillville, and Baxter Springs. When the fire would reach a city or town, Brother Parham and his workers would hold a revival meeting. Sometimes, as at Galena and Baxter Springs, no building could hold the crowds as they would pitch a tent in a convenient location and carry on for months. That's fire that started in Kansas spread to Houston and then the fire continued to move and it went west to Los Angeles California in 1906 the Azusa Street Mission was opened and led by a man named William Seymour there's a picture of William Seymour this is 1906 friend this is about 30 years 40 years after the Civil War 30 years after the Civil War but this one-eyed black man who was a a son of african slaves began to lead this mission in los angeles california and the fire of the holy ghost began to fall the fire began to fall a spark that was lit in los angeles and as the fire began to spread it went on for about the next 10 years Thousands, I'm not exaggerating, but thousands came and received the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues, just like they did in the Bible. The amazing thing about the Azusa Street Mission was that there were men and there were women. There were white people, there were African American people, there were Asians, there were Hispanics, educated, uneducated, everyday services were going on. Every day, people were receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues as this prayer meeting was going on. The 20th century revival that started with the spark in Topeka, Kansas, 
And now today, 120 years later roughly, 115 years later, there are more people in our world that are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost than in any other time in the history of the world. More people today have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost than ever before. But that is a fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said 2,700 years ago when Joel would write this Old Testament prophet, he would write, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour my spirit out upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And when the Apostle Peter stood up 800 years later on the day of Pentecost and that first initial outpouring and Jerusalem, as people were filled with the Holy Ghost, they were speaking in other tongues. They were looking around. They said, oh, those people are drunk. And Peter said, wait a minute. Those people are not drunk like you think they are. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days God's going to pour his spirit out upon all flesh. And Peter didn't finish there because he said in verse 39, he said, the promises to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Hallelujah. We are pursuing God this morning. And I'm here to tell you that God has the gift of the Holy Ghost for every single person in this room. Every single person. You say, preacher, I don't understand it. I'm just going to tell you, if you don't understand it, open this book and begin to read what happened in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter 9 and see the people that received the gift of the Holy Ghost and see what happened to them. It was not a simple thought in their mind. It was not a prayer that a preacher led. It was a supernatural experience as the Almighty God began to take up residence in the hearts and the lives of individuals. See, that's, that's, why, that's why Jesus, right before he ascended to heaven, he looked at his disciples and he said, Go, tarry in Jerusalem. He, he had already risen from the dead and he said, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, Thomas, go tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And you know what they did? They went. They went. And they went in that upper room of John Mark's house or the upper room of the temple, whatever, wherever that room, that upper room was. And they went in that upper room just like Jesus said. And they begin to tarry and they begin to pray. They begin to wait. They begin to seek God. They begin to ask God to pour out his gift, to, to endue them with power. This, this promise of the Father, they prayed and they waited. And day one, they prayed. Day two, they waited. They, they just continued to pursue. They continued to pray. Day three, day four. And somewhere about the tenth day, suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled that house where they were sitting. And the Holy Ghost filled that room, just like the Holy Ghost is moving in this room this morning. The Holy Ghost filled that room and every single person in that room, all 120 of them as they sat there and they prayed, all 120 of them were baptized 
with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Here's what I'm asking you to do this morning is pray until something happens. Pray until, just keep pushing. That's, that's what push stands for, P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. I wonder if you'd join me around the front. I wonder if everybody would join me around the front and just pray until something happens to pray. God, we're pursuing you. Maybe you don't need the gift of the Holy Ghost. Maybe you received the gift of the Holy Ghost years ago or some, some time ago, but maybe you need to pray this morning. Maybe you need to talk to the Lord. I'm asking you to come to the Lord this morning. It's not just about one group of person, people here this morning, but we're all praying and we're all talking to the Lord. Would you raise your hands or however you pray? And would you begin to talk to the Lord? Would you lift your voice to the Lord? Just express that desire for the Lord. God, I need you right now. Lord, I need more of you. That's it. Just go. Don't worry about anybody else right now. We're not worried about who's looking around or who, or who may see us. We're just, it's just us and God right now. And we're praying and we're talking to the Lord. God, I, I may not understand, Lord, your word, but Lord, by faith, I... I'm asking you, Lord, to open my understanding. Lord, I'm asking you to guide my mind and my steps by your word this day. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, everybody's praying, everybody's seeking the Lord, everybody's talking to God. If you feel so led, if you feel the Lord prompt you, it would be okay if you wanted to pray with somebody. If you feel the Lord leading you to pray with another individual close to you, you can go right ahead and do that. But the Lord is ministering and the Lord is moving here. There's hunger. There's a spark here. I believe your word, Lord. I believe your promises today. And Lord, we're hungry for more of you. Lord, we have a desire in our hearts to, Lord, to walk.